What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Stripper Steve, Silly Steve, whatever you want to call him, it don't matter to me. Let's put it this way. I'm bigger, I'm stronger, and I'm tougher. I just hope Ringling Brothers lets him have his job back when I'm done. Got it? This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for our special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling, courtesy of Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And as always, my name is Chad, and I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, today on the show, we're joined by the one and only Jay Bradley. To today's fan, you might know him as Impact Wrestling's Aiden O'Shea. And Jay Bradley has quite the history that we're going to get into in just a couple of minutes. But John, before we get into the interview, I just want to make mention that we are being featured this week on PlayerFM.com and the PlayerFM app. We are the podcast of the week, which is a quite an honor uh, by the two-man powership of wrestling to be recognized by PlayerFM, a wonderful Android app that I know a lot of people do listen to us on PlayerFM. But we really urge you to go and check out the Q&A that we did 
associated with Player FM and their Facebook page all week. You can head on over to our Facebook page, which is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, and you can find the link to Player FM in the Q&A. Of course, we'll be sharing it all week. It's a fun couple of questions that we got to be asked by the team over at Player FM. Share our thoughts on some of the things going on in wrestling and also the history of how we became fans, how the show came about. And things of that nature. But back to the man himself, Aiden O'Shea, a.k.a. Jay Bradley. He's got quite the history of being in WWE developmental. He's been all across the world. He's been in countless promotions that I'm sure you've either seen him wrestle live or you've heard the name on the sheets, you know, and the results. You've seen the name Jay Bradley many, many times. But, John, before you get into the nuts and bolts of the interview, tell them a little bit more about the Player FM feature, as well as why Jay Bradley fits the mold of the two-man power trip of wrestling pretty much uh, almost as perfect as any guest possibly could. Yes, Chatty Boy. Like you mentioned, Player FM is doing a feature on us all week long. So this week, check out the two-man power trip of wrestling on Player FM. We did a little Q&A for them, a lot of fun stuff, and it's awesome to be featured on there. Not only with the Q&A and everything else, but also for the fact that we are uh, dominating the charts, so to speak. We're doing quite well on there, and that's obviously you know why they selected us to be a part of the Q&A and to be a feature this week. So it's just great, and I love the relationship between us and them. So a big thank you throwing out there to Player FM and... Um, we love being on the network. So, you know, as I swing right from Player FM right to Jay Bradley, a.k.a. Noche from TNA Impact Wrestling, you just think about our show in general and what we like to do on our show. We love interviewing anybody that has to do with the business. I mean, we've interviewed Barry Blaustein. We've interviewed Bob Zamuda. We've interviewed Nick Searcy. I mean, Johnny Fairplay. I mean, we've interviewed so many different types of not only wrestlers and legends and Hall of Famers, but also guys that are kind of fringe a part of the business or a manager or a fan or an actor or a director or whatever part of the business. So when we get back down to our actual roots of the show, and that is true blue wrestlers that have traveled the road and they've got stories to tell, Jay Bradley fits in our show like a glove. And we're going back to the roots with this one. I mean, he fits the mold of our show more so than a lot of other wrestlers out there do, quite frankly. I mean, he's been everywhere. He debuted in 1999, and he's still going today. I mean, so 17 years strong. We absolutely love the length and the longevity of his business. But let's think back to 1999. Let's think back to the early 2000s, where he started and when he was training. And you think of Chicago, the legendary wrestling town. And, of course, you think of Steel Domain Wrestling, of course. Now, a lot of big names came out of Chicago. Chicago is a lot of the greatest crowds of all time, held a lot of the greatest shows of all time. But you think of some of the wrestlers that came out of there, and obviously when you think of Steel Domain Wrestling and Jay Bradley, who he trained with, Ace Steel, former guest of the show, great interview that was. If you can find that find that on the um, on the feed there, definitely check that one out. That was so much fun. Love having Ace on. And, of course, he was also training with a guy I think familiar with everyone, and that's CM Punk, and also training with Colt Cabana. So, I mean, we go A to Z with Jay Bradley. We start from the beginning with those guys in Chicago. We go to Deep South. We go to OVW. We go to his WWE career as Ryan Braddock. Um, parentheses, they really dropped the ball on that one. Uh, then we go to TNA Wrestling, where he was, and then him coming back to TNA Wrestling. So we go through A to Z of the gamut, and we just love how Jay Bradley, a.k.a. Noche, really, really fits in with our show. 
You mentioned the name Ryan Braddock, and that's another one that you said, parentheses, drops the ball on a guy like Ryan Braddock and the things that they had earmarked for him. And it's kind of funny when you hear this story about why things kind of went awry. It's, uh, it's just another one of those head-scratching guys that he has so much potential, and they just really don't know what to do with those guys that have that standout ability to be somebody different and have a very cool, unique gimmick or look or whatever, and he definitely had that. But talk about the transformation from Ryan Braddock and back into Jay Bradley and then over into TNA Wrestling where he stands today as Aiden O'Shea in such a cool transformation and such a creative way to become a new character and really shed some light onto the next chapter for who he is as a performer and really some of the finer things that can come out when you bring a concept of a character together and bring it live onto television on a, uh, on a platform like Impact Wrestling can provide for you. Yeah, you know what? This is actually kind of... Aiden O'Shea, a.k.a. Jay Bradley, getting another shot in TNA Wrestling. And he tells a great, great story, which we put up on YouTube, uh, one of the clips there. A great, great story about Jay Bradley becoming Aiden O'Shea in TNA and the influence of Billy Corgan, which is really, really cool. And we go in depth of, of what he thinks of Billy and what his relationship is with Billy outside of the wrestling. And even when Billy had his Resistance Pro out of Chicago, we go into all that in great detail. And it's always great to hear about these guys that you're like, I don't know if Billy Corgan would mesh so well with the wrestling business. It's great to hear he's such a big fan. He's so smart. He's so in tune. And he knows a lot about the business. And, and we go into depth with that, with obviously with Aiden O'Shea. But we definitely, definitely dig deep into the thug character itself, where the name Aiden O'Shea came from. Obviously, you know, the Billy Corgan big-time influence in that, the Chicago influence in that, the Irish influence in that. He's like an old-school gangster with that new-school brawler edge. So very, very interesting character, and he's an awesome wrestler and kind of an underrated brawler. So I really, really think you're going to enjoy this one, and definitely check him out. Week Nights on Pop TV. I believe it's every Tuesday night on Pop TV. Check him out on Impact Wrestling. Definitely go check him out on Pop TV and go back and look up some of Jay Bradley's finest moments. And also go check some Ryan Braddock footage and go read some results and find out what they could have had with Ryan Braddock or Jay Bradley on the WWE roster when he was under contract. And you'll definitely see the possibilities were there and you will love this interview, just like the numbers which we've been setting absolute records over the last couple of weeks with some of the downloads and some of the episodes we've had. Actually, I think some of our finer episodes which have come out as of late and so much more to come as we trek to episode number 175, which is absolutely mind-blowing to think. 175 coming up on Friday the 13th with a very supernatural guest, and I think you're really going to love the episode it's It's been in the bag for about two weeks, and I know John and I are really looking forward to getting it out there. It is such an awesome episode, and this guy is such a two-man power trip of wrestling guy on paper. And when you hear us talk, there are so many things that we've covered on the show that he's able to address and really shed some light on in some similar topics that we've discussed on the actual program itself. And with all that being said, enjoy today's episode with Jay Bradley. And while you're at it, head on over to Meowbox and throw in the code POWERTRIP10 into the checkout box and get 10% off your first monthly box subscription. Again, that's the code POWERTRIP10 just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling. 
And with all that being said, Primetime, hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and tell them a little bit more about Meowbox. Yes, Meowbox is back. Not only is your Meowbox personalized by hand with your cat's name written on the inside of the box, all of the edible items are made in Canada or the USA so you know where all your ingredients are coming from. Also, they have a program it's a giving program. It's called One Box Can. With every Meow Box purchase, they donate a can of food to a shelter cat on your behalf. Also, and most importantly to me, for picky cats like mine, my cat is Lucy, who has a very special diet. We offer to receive Meow Boxes with absolutely no edible items. They actually replace food and treats with more toys and more surprises. So that's MeowBox.com. Please enter promo code POWERTRIP10 and receive 10% off your first subscription again it's meowbox.com enter the promo code powertrip10 and now for some tmpt business like us on facebook follow us on twitter at wrestling pal and at two man power trip please subscribe to us on youtube we are releasing the latest and greatest clips also subscribe to us on itunes while you're on there please check out the feed for prior great episodes with the late American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Jesse the Body Ventura, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the phenomenal A.J. Styles, the Demon, Glenn Kane Jacobs, the Lunatic Fringe, Dean Ambrose, Stan the Laird Hansen, and many, many more. Also, please check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. You can now check us out on Google Play, as well as Player FM and the i95 Sports Network. For any bookings, please hit up our email, bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com for any of your booking needs. Also, check out our store on ProWrestlingTees.com. It is new and it is awesome. So please check it out as ProWrestlingTees.com. Also, while you're there, check out the Kevin Thorne page as well as the Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff page and the coming soon, the Buff Bagwell page. So please check that out on ProWrestlingTees.com. And now, without any further ado... You may know him as Jay Bradley, but he is now the thug in TNA Impact Wrestling. He is Aiden O'Shea. Please enjoy. And welcome back to the two-man power trip of wrestling. And today we have a special guest with us online. It is none other than a former two-time OBW heavyweight champion, a former three-time Deep South wrestling heavyweight champion. You may know him as Jay Bradley, but we know him now as Aiden O'Shea in TNA. Aiden, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What's up, guys? Now, you know, first things first, obviously, uh, TNA is now on Pop TV, and Pop TV is mm-hmm. definitely doing a, a great job of pushing you guys and promoting you guys, and they give you a great time slot Tuesday night at 9 p.m. What do you think about uh, Pop TV and TNA's and Impact Wrestling's move to that network? Uh, 
to be honest with you, I uh, I think it's a good fit, um, and uh, I don't just say that to uh, you know to tell the company line. If anybody has heard me on any other interviews or anything like that, you know I'm uh, I'm pretty uh, sometimes I can be a little outspoken and blunt on some things, but uh, I think Pop fits the company a lot better um, than Destination America did. Um, I think they've really embraced us as a, as a partner you know, an outlet, um, a product, whatever you want to term it. And they're, they're a pretty new, uh, network from what I understand. And, you know, I think they're trying to build, uh, us TNA as one of their cornerstones. Uh, you know, the whole thing is supposed to be dedicated to pop culture. Um, and that's going to be more of the, you know, uh, programming that's going to be following through on the network in the near future. And, you know, I mean, you think about pop culture and, you know, you know, things that are very typically American, you know, I think pro wrestling is one of those things, you know, stuff like motorcycles and baseball, football, uh, pro wrestling, you know, that that's all up there with, you know, things that are very stereotypically, you know, very American pop culture to us, along with, you know, like movies and video games and comic books, they all kind of kind of go underneath that umbrella. So I think it's a great fit. Um, they, so far, they've done a great job getting behind the company as far as a promotional standpoint, which is actually something really difficult in the TV industry to do, uh, you typically don't see a lot of, you know, on air advertisement for TV shows or, or events. You know, if you really think about it compared to like movies or anything along that lines, other forms of entertainment, it's kind of slim. Um, yeah, I think it's a great fit. You know, what's interesting about pop TV too, is because they had pro wrestling on before, or, you know, a little bit of pro wrestling when they had Paragon on, and they're somewhat familiar with the pro wrestling industry as opposed to Destination America, which was more of a, I don't know, it was like a more of a niche program being, but they had n- no idea before they picked up TNA and before obviously they had Ring of Honor, they knew nothing about professional wrestling. So I definitely think Pop TV is definitely a better fit for you guys, and it just seems like uh, the reach might be a little bit better on Pop TV as well. Yeah, that's what I've heard, and then I, I heard today, reason uh, via press release that they just got into the company or the network Pop TV got into another like eight million homes, uh, or is about to. So I mean, not to say all those people are going to watch TNA. If they would, it would be awesome. But uh, you know, uh, it's just more penetration and more people that are going to be uh, uh, could be aware of the product. Uh, so where the you know the wrestling, the matches, and then like I said, if you know if they keep pushing it like they have, it seems like they really want to have a, uh, build a really stable long-term relationship where I think they're really looking towards uh TNA to be in like a, like I said, a cornerstone. Definitely. And that is definitely a good sign for TNA and for impact wrestling. Now you recently made your return. I mean, not so to speak, but you mean you were there kind of, and you kind of returned, but now you're Aiden O'Shea. And obviously you're a part of the world title series and you've been on impact wrestling before, but what was the change in the gimmick? Why, you know, Aiden O'Shea? Uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's really just like I've said, uh, just like I said before, uh, it's, it's just a new kind of coat of paint on the, uh, the car that is my, you know, wrestling, uh, career. Um, anybody who's seen me, you know, any of the stuff that I've done in Ohio Valley and my couple of stints there or, uh, you know, some of the independent stuff I've done the last couple of years, it, there's really no difference between, uh, you know, the guy I once was known as Jay Bradley and Aiden O'Shea. Um, you know, I'm, I'm of 
uh, Irish descent. I've grown up in the Chicagoland area. Um, there's a very strong subculture in the south side of Chicago that, you know, they call it the south side Chirish. Um, and uh, that sort of feel to this barroom brawler, blue collar kind of guy, something I've always had. Um, and we're just kind of dressing up and presenting it a little bit different, you know, turning up the volume on a little bit of, a little bit more, I should say, on uh, who I am as an individual and what I do in the ring. Um, you know, and sometimes that's all it is. It takes is a, something, somebody looks at you in a different light or, you know, makes a, a suggestion that, you know, just tweaks a piece here or there and you're seen in an entirely different way or you're exposed to more people or more fans who don't, you know, haven't heard of you before. Um, so it's been you know, pretty positive. I've gotten, uh, you know, a lot of great feedback on it from, you know, veterans in the business and uh, people in upper management. Um, a few other wrestling companies have kind of come sniffing around to kind of see what's going on. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it, to me it was just, all right, we're going to put a new coat of paint on everything and uh, we're going to change the name slightly. But, I mean, even if you go back to my time in WWE, they built me from the south side of Chicago then. It was a little bit more of a ruggeder personality. Um but like I said, we just turned up the volume on some other things, and this is what we got. Definitely. And, you know, the Aiden O'Shea character is obviously a, a completely different name, if you will. I mean, like you said, you turned it up the volume, making it a very, very Irish name. Now, when that happens, when you, you go from Jay Bradley to Aiden O'Shea, is that something that they just present to you and they give you the name, or is that something you guys work on together? No, actually, it was uh, uh a mutual, I should say, you know, collaborative effort between myself and actually Billy Corian, um, for the most part. I mean, a few other people, uh, you know, gave me some feedback, like, uh, you know, uh, a promoter, Dave Hero, that I work for here and there up in Milwaukee, and one of my original trainers, uh, Danny Dominion, who, you know, we still, you know, we're still tight, we still talk, and um, basically how it came about was, uh, you know, uh, Billy was hired for TNA uh, to be part of uh, the creative department and executive producer. Um, and I had worked with Billy here in Chicago um, and, you know, was cool enough that, you know, uh, I got to, you know, consider him a friend and, you know, uh, outside of wrestling as well. And uh, and when, you know, he got to TNA, he was just kind of like, I would love to have you back in the company. Like, um, I've got some ideas and, you know, they're sort of, you know, this is my role. I want to develop some some new characters or some new blood into TNA wrestling. Um, and he thought that could be his niche. So we kind of got together and uh, we're kind of just kind of brainstorming, like, what could we do? You know, you know, let's try for something different instead of being another guy in, like, trunks or tights and a pair of boots. Um, you know, what aspects or how else could I dress a guy like me dress? And, and get in a fight, you know, where would you find this sort of character at? Um, what parts about me fit the other aspects? And, uh, you know, we played around with it, and uh, lo and behold, this is what it became. I, I did, uh, he had me do some, you know, test promo work in front of the camera, talking, that sort of thing, and he really didn't want really much to change, or if anything to change as far as what I do with the microphone or what I do in the ring as far as a wrestler. Uh, like I said, we were just looking for a different light to shine on it. And uh, once I, I did some interviews, um, he showed them to Big at TNA, and Big saw it and, you know, 
wanted to put it to work. So that's how it happened. And with Billy Corgan, obviously, you know, you kind of alluded to, you knew him from uh, resistance pro wrestling uh, back in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, he's a legend outside of the wrestling business and the music industry, but what is he like within TNA? Like, what is he like in the locker room? Is it like, Oh my God, this guy's a huge star or is he really just, you know, there for you guys, and he's just a great mind to go to. For you know what? Time. Like Billy is not Billy's not like uh, that at all. As far as like this big ego or big star, like I mean, yeah, he know he's noticeable when he's in the room. You know, I mean, he, with his height and and his style of dress, you know, and and his and his, the way he looks, like he's he's a memorable and he's a noticeable guy. But you know, he's not one of those like you know huge celebrities that just you know want all the attention on them. He's very, very down to earth. He's very approachable. He's very friendly. Um, and, uh, you know, like his role is, is that he, you know, he's, he understands the entertainment business. He understands storytelling. Um, and he understands, you know, the need to, you know, sell tickets, draw ratings, all that hook people's interest in. And, and again, we're like, you know, when he lays out a set list or he starts writing songs or puts them where they're going to put on an album, like he wants certain uh, songs to connect with an audience, or you know, in a certain way, at certain points in an album, or in a certain sequence. Um, so, in a way, it's a lot like wrestling shows. We want people to feel certain things at certain times. We want people to go home with a certain feeling or remember certain things throughout the night. Um, and he's very good at that. Plus, you know, on top of it, he he genuinely loves pro wrestling. He's been a longtime fan. Like, we'll start talking, and he'll pull out some. stuff knowledge from way back when uh you know territory day stuff and i'm like hey i'm kind of impressed that he knows that or he saw it and then like that you know wow he remembers it so vividly and you know he's talking about it and you know you know he's uh he's just got that sort of a, a passion for it um and even here's here's an instance like uh he purchased if anyone knows the old promoter bob loose uh who promoted chicago with the awa and crusher and bruiser for years um, he bought his memorabilia collection from his family. So like, he's got all these old pictures and like booking notebooks, payout sheets, you know, propaganda posters, pictures, autographs from all this old stuff from the Chicago amphitheater from like the seventies the sixties and, and that whole era. Like, I mean, he's a huge fan. Um, and I think he, he's, he's a little bit of a curveball as far as wrestling goes, just because he's, the way he thinks he's not necessarily stuck in the wrestling box. He can think outside it. Um, and also learning to think in it and how wrestling flows and wrestling works. So, you know, I think he's, uh, he's definitely a positive to have in the locker room. That's definitely good to hear because when he initially went to TNA, everyone kind of, you know, raised the red flag. and like, Oh no. Um, you know, not saying these people were close, but you know, they're less informed, but they were thinking like, Oh wow. I wonder why he's involved in the wrestling business without knowing, how much of a big fan he is, and obviously, if anybody paid any attention to ECW back in the day, he made quite a you know a few appearances there. So, I mean, he's obviously a, definitely a big fan, and and like you said, I guess he is a good creative mind for the business. Yeah, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, that outside eye or that outside vibe from, you know, like I mean, let's use music music as an example. Like, you know, every now and then you'll have a. Uh, an artist in one genre and then they cross over into another sound or they bring someone over from another sound, you know, whether it's like country and hip hop or like, uh, 
EDM and uh, you know a, a, a you know you know pop singer, pop rock singer, or whatever. Like, and you know, you make these collaborations, and sometimes you know they're awesome. Um, and some of it's really memorable, and it really you know catches the crowd's attention. So it's the same thing with wrestling. I think you know the right mind uh, who's open and creative enough, uh, you know, from one realm can can jump in and and do well in this realm. Absolutely. And, you know, since he's been there, TNA has done some pretty creative things. Not to say that it was him doing all of this, but they definitely got a little bit different. And one of the most different things they did was the world title series. And you had the, you know, the wild card, if you will. You were in that bracket. Crazy Steve, Kenny King, and Shira. Did you like how that whole thing was set up? It was definitely very different, and it was definitely a long play by TNA. You know what? Like, um, overall, I liked it. I did. Um, I, I guess when I was more of the diehard wrestling fan before, I, you know, I really got into the business. Like I used to like love tournaments for whatever reason, um, you know, something to follow um, almost like, you know, like the G1 and New Japan as I got in business, mm-hmm. started studying like Japanese wrestling. Like that was something you always look forward to. Um, and uh, I think Tournaments can be really, really well done in wrestling. They can make a lot of matches really meaningful. It's an extra layer um, for the fans to kind of sink into and follow what's going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like the fact that TNA was, you know, bringing that back, so to say, and the way it was formatted a little bit almost remind me of, you know, the old, you know, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan in the studio, you know, talking and bannering and then, you know, sending it to the next tournament match. And then, you know, you would see what happened. Um you know, the way it was laid out, it had to be really creatively done and thinking for the long haul. Um, but I think that was a good thing. You know, um, so much lately, I think, in wrestling in the last, you know, probably, you know, five to ten years maybe, especially since social media has caught on, like, you know, there's instant shock, instant hook. I got to hook these people in. I got to keep these people watching right now. And uh, and what can I do to get the reaction right now? Where, yeah, like some of this was taped prior but like then you have to rely on your talent to make these matches you know quality matches entertaining matches that these people want to see or at least hear about and want to like watch later because you're like oh i heard this was a good match or this guy beat this guy oh i wonder what happened here what they're doing with that and um yeah i mean i thought that was great i thought the way way it was broken up um i would have liked to maybe been put in a different bracket and that's not a shot at anybody i was in the bracket with i just kind of felt that was kind of you know, it was the wild card. That's what it was. But, you know, maybe someone like Aiden O'Shea should have been in, like, the future four with a guy like, you know, Jesse Goddard and, you know, Eli Drake. Um, so, I mean, that would have been the only thing I would have changed personally. Uh, and then, of course, you know, not lose so much. So I would have got in there and rolled around with some of the bigger dogs and, and proved that, you know, maybe I am the bigger dog. Absolutely. And the future four, obviously, you mentioned those guys. And there is a couple of guys that are kind of the future of the company. But one of the guys you wrestled recently, who is obviously, you know, maybe not the future of the company, but maybe he's the current, and a guy that kind of stole the show because he had a lot of great matches within that tournament, and that is Lashley. What are your, you know, your thoughts of kind of him been stepping up his game lately? What was your thoughts of wrestling him somewhat recently? Uh, you know what, man, Lashley's kind of a freak of nature, uh, and I mean that, in a, I don't mean that in a shitty way either. Um, he's just, he's one of those. And she's got a genetic, genetically freaky body, you know, walking around at that muscular and that powerful at 265 or 270, whatever he is. And, 
being able to be a high level amateur athlete in the as far as amateur wrestling goes and and uh i think uh you know he was a national champion in the and at the college ranks or for the army um you know probably could have done something with that but went to wwe instead and now between him you know still doing tna and starting to really i really think he's starting to catch his groove a little bit as an mma fighter with the the last few fights and it seems like he's going to be challenging for the heavyweight title soon of bellator um yeah man you know bobby is wow like he's impressive that's all you can really say about that you know i'd love to get in there and go with him again i you know i watched him on a I was on a Japanese event with him a few years ago and I watched him there compete with the Japanese and, you know, um, obviously I see what he's doing now in TNA and, you know, it's all of it's just impressive. It's crazy because I looked up his age because I didn't believe he was that old and obviously he's in his late thirties. I was like, wow, he looks, you know, you know, in crazy shape and he's definitely excelled in MMA now winning, I think about eight fights in a row or so. So he's definitely stepping up there and he's been having, some of the best matches of his career at this age. So it's crazy. He's definitely, like you said, he's definitely a freak. Yeah, I wouldn't, I, I would, I would not argue that point. And then another guy, which is the complete opposite end of the spectrum, as far as size wise goes. And that was a uh, rock star spud who's kind of been developing as this big baby face, you know, as of late in TNA. What do you thoughts on working with rock star spud? Cause that's completely the different end of the spectrum. Yeah, he's a mutt. I mean, uh, <laughs> I wish I could slap him around again, you know, whatever happened, like, you know, I got stupid, yeah, you know, and, and whatever, whatever happened, happened, he won, but he got his ass kicked, uh, you know, so who really won that fight? But anyways, like, uh, Spud, uh, I have thought Spud is a great talent for a number of years. Um, not that I've known him that long, but we were together back in 2013 when he came into TNA, I did was there, uh, we were working out at OVW. Um, you know, and I don't know if necessarily that his size, but like he, he has that, that it factor, that personality, that charisma, that he is still larger than life. And, uh, you know, in the way he carries himself in the ring and what he does in the ring, like it's really hard not to like a guy like that. Um, and I say that now because I still want to punch him in his face, but you know, (laughs) it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard not to like the guy who doesn't get up and it's hard not to like the guy who doesn't you know, doesn't stop fighting and, and is scrappy, you know, like we all know someone like that and, you know, they could be the biggest assholes, but it's hard not to, to like them at times because they're just so persistent and passionate. And, um, and I think Spud really gets what we do as far as, you know, in front of the crowd and uh, really understands the pro wrestling as a business uh, more so than a lot of guys. Definitely. And you mentioned 2013 TNA. When I think about that and you, I think about, the gut check challenge and obviously you end up winning that gut check challenge and you end up, you know, staying with TNA for a bit, but the pairing was interesting. It was you and Brian cage, two guys that was very strange that the WWE let go of because looking at you guys, those are the two prototypical Vince McMahon guys, you know, they're big, they look great. They can talk, they can move, they can work. So, you know, it was a strange pairing just looking at it, you know, from an outsider saying, wow, those are two XWB guys. There probably shouldn't be two XWB guys, but, you know, whatever. What was it like um, doing the gut check? Did you, you know, did you like that where you're almost like competing for the job and then, again, working with Brian Cage? You know what, man? Uh, I have been always of the mind 
uh, you know, whatever it takes. And uh, when Al Snow called me for the opportunity, he was like, and he, he kind of addressed that a little bit. You know, he's like, well, you might not want to do it, uh, but if, if the opportunity's here, you know, you, you know, could turn into something for you. And you never know whether, you know, they knew they were going to pick me or they didn't or how much of it was legit. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know they were hiring me or I had a job until I was in the ring and, and they said yes. Um, I, I kind of think the gut check was kind of a, it was a great thing in theory for a bit. I really liked it, but I think it just lost its way. Um, as far as wrestling, Brian, man, I've been, me and Brian have kind of like weaved in and out of each other's paths a couple times. He actually started wrestling, uh, and was paying to get trained at Deep South when I was there under WWE contract. So I met him there initially. Um, and then obviously, you know, kind of like my last six months in WWE, he showed up in, there as well uh, at FCW. And you just see, like, he had so much passion for what we do, his dedication to his body and, and putting on size and, and, and just uh, – being different like you don't see a guy like his size with that over muscular frame like bodybuilder-esque like move like he does or fly like he does and i think because of that that's you know led him to a niche and that's who he is and and that's what people know him for i think he's doing great with it with lucha underground and it's turned into a lot of opportunity for him but going back to your question like what's well, two guys in wwe from there that maybe should still be there it's all about timing it really is, man. Like, uh, you know, Brian didn't look like he does now, you know, five, six years ago, whatever it was, when we were in WWE. He wasn't doing a lot of those things. Like, he had to, you know, evolve into that. And the same thing with me. Like, even though I've been a very similar uh, wrestling style, you know, speech style, whatever you want to call it, like attitude, like, it's evolved over the past couple of years. My look has really evolved, evolved and changed over the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, it might be like the same guy, the same person, but you know, the timing was different. Someone looked at him in a different way and was like, well, I didn't see this then, but they see it now. So let's give these guys opportunities or give these guys jobs. Um, so yeah. And what you said about the gut check is interesting because we've heard that from, you know, some of the guests we had in the show and we never really know how to take it. So you really don't know when you're in the ring if you're going to be, you know, the winner or not. There's no, like, you guys are talking about it backstage. It's just go out there and see what happens. No, this is what I was told. Uh, so after we did the match, the second week we were back, we literally, uh, they had us getting gear early. They were doing some, you know, photo shots or some, uh, you know, they call them drop-ins of, like, guys, like, warming up or whatever we had to do some you know stuff like that throughout the evening and the afternoon i was literally told uh we had a meeting in the ring uh if i remember right it was like jason hervey and eric bischoff got everybody involved the judges brian and myself in the ring and they were a little like okay you stand right about here you stand right about here camera will get you a good shot uh you know the judges will be facing you they'll be in this order right here they're like one you'll get cut, you'll go to the back, the next guy gets voted on, and if he gets microphone time, take it. Uh, that's that pretty much it. Wow. That's, that's kind of crazy, like, as a talent, not knowing, you know, like, 
do they like me? Do they not like me? Am I getting picked up? I mean, obviously they kind of like me because I'm getting an opportunity. But then the other aspect is, you know, how come, uh, you know, how come it's such a big secret? How come it's such a big surprise? Well, you know what? I think they're just trying to keep. I, well, you know, unfortunately, I think it's good and bad with social media. Something like that gets out, it ruins your whole TV segment, and it ruins kind of like a, a surprise moment crowd as a fan. Um, so I think that's part of it. You know, not wanting it to get out or slip out or or, or to get all over social media before the moment actually happens. Um, and to be honest with you, like if you've been in wrestling any length of time, like I have, like that feeling never really goes away. Like any of us could get hurt at any time and we're done, you know, no contract or contract. You know what I mean? Like WWE's contracts, you know, the ones that I had or, or the TNA structures stuff that I know about, like you can get released at any time. They can just notify you and just say, Hey, no, thank you. We're, we're, done with this business agreement. Thank you very much. You know, uh, that's the reality of it, man. Like, you know, you could screw up and do something stupid. You could not do something stupid and, you know, whatever it is, life could happen and this, there's a curveball, and you don't do this anymore. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of like, a, you know, one of the things, I mean, there's very few, very few guarantees in, in, in pro wrestling. And I think, you know, the guys that have them, you know, or the, uh, the upper upper echelon, you know what I mean? Like the the John Cena's, the Orton's, you know, those guys up there at the end of that, you know, that ladder. But, you know, everybody else is just, you know, uh, always striving, I think, a lot of times to, to, to do better, or they should be, or striving for a bigger spot or a bigger role in the product or the, the show they're on, whatever promotion they're in. Because um, let's face it, man, like, when it gets down to it, we're all just fans, you know, that's why we do what we do. And uh, we all want to be the best, or we should be, or want to be. That's what keeps us competitive and keeps a lot of us going. You all want to be the champ somewhere, some way down the line, right? You want to have the, you know, be the poster boy of the company to, you know, whatever. I think, uh, you know, that has a lot to do with it. With that run in TNA, obviously, you know, you you end up, you know, winning the gut check. You wrestled in the uh, BFG series. Hernandez, Austin Aries, a couple other good matches you had there. But then, you know, obviously you were gone from TNA and now you're back. Did you feel like at that point there was a lot of unfinished business with TNA that you almost had to come back? Uh, yeah, in a way I was kind of torn. I mean, a part of me did feel that way. Um, and uh, I, I kind of felt like prior to TNA, like I was just kind of was just there. Like the, the company was just in such a, a flux, I guess you could say, like, you know, we had with Hogan and Bischoff around, Bruce Pritchard was around, uh, you know, and then you had a lot of like, uh, you know, Sting was still around. We carried a lot of weight with, you know, his, his word and not that and I don't put that in a bad way whatsoever. Um, and you had a lot of guys who had been in the company for like 10, 12, you know, years, um, and, and the company was changing. And, uh, I think I was just kind of, stuck in the tide so to say like you know bruce came in bruce or bruce was there bruce hired me through the gut check you know uh bruce and tna parted ways big came in and it was already kind of at the end of the bfg series and things were getting reevaluated from the entire company you know internally the roster everything and uh you know, like, I just don't think they knew how to utilize me at the moment. I know, I, I heard people, like, still thought very highly of me. Like, I remember Eric Bischoff looking at me one time being like, 
you know, you're a rookie technically by TNA standards, but you look like you could pull a t- tree trunk out of the ground and beat someone with it. I like that. Like I can do something with this. Uh, you know, unfortunately like that never happened. Um, you know, numerous things were talked about, you know, but it was just talk that happens. Um, but yeah, like I always kind of felt like after it, I left, it was kind of like, you know, well shit, like I never really got a shot to, to show you guys what I could do. It was, it was uh, the way the style was booked. The matches were booked and what needed to get done. Um, so I always kind of had a bug on my ass about that. Like I, if I had the opportunity, I would really show them, so to say. Um, and at the same point, like I thought for a little while, like maybe I was just, you know, time to explore other opportunities in the world for me. Like, um, you know, I have a very selective schedule on the Indies. I do take dates obviously, but I just kind of chilled out for a while and, you know, had, had a decent job outside of the, the wrestling interest that I was, you know concentrating on and uh you know when like i said i'll go back to when billy got the job with tna as a you know executive producer um you know it got the flame going again a little bit hotter and and really you know you know got the you know got the shot so to say so and uh that's why i'm back was there a big difference between bfg 2013 and bfg 2015 i mean you said there was a lot of moving parts and a lot of guys were gone but did you notice internally like a huge, huge difference? Uh, you know what? Yeah, I don't want. I can't say maybe it's a huge difference, and but maybe I'm just been around more. Um, you know, like it, it, it's how do I put it? Uh, like it's just a it's a very chill, good atmosphere. I feel right now. Um, you know, like there's no one. I don't feel there's a whole lot of ego in the locker room everyone gets along, you know, like it, you know, yeah, there's might be a few buddy, buddy clicks here and there, but that's anywhere in life. But everyone's really cool with each other. It seems like, you know, no one's, no one's really going out of the way to be a dick or just an ass or there's not that person. No one wants to be around. Everybody is pretty chill. And that's from, from a locker room all the way through like the production guys and, you know, creative, you know, management and, uh, everyone's very accessible and approachable. Like, you know, another, you know, like WWE, like, you know, a lot of people like didn't intermix, you know what I mean? Like people stuck to themselves or they stuck to their group of people where here it's like, you know, you know, production guys and ring crew are, you know, BSing with the boys and, you know, uh, helping each other out, you know, eating lunch together. Um, I also think that as far as a talent, talent roster is a little bit hungrier too. Um, there's a lot of guys in the locker room like myself that were hungry. You know, we got something to prove. Um, TNA has given us the stage to prove it and show the world what we can do. Um, I think it's a great attitude. You know, you have, you have newer talent that's, you know, young or just new in general, that's maybe repackaged or uh, being shown in a different light. And you have guys that they want to wrestle. They want to go out there and, and, and do their best. Um, because this is what they love and this is what they want to do. Um, you know, that, that I feel that vibe a lot more than, you know, I'm just here for the paycheck vibe, which, you know, some people get. Now your TNA run, you know, aside for a second here, and we mentioned a few times your WWE run and you were obviously part of deep South, OVW, even FCW for a little bit. You were known as Ryan Braddock. Now, why, this is just a, maybe a weird question for me, but I was just always curious uh, with the release. 
why were you released from WWE, and were you surprised by it? Because it seemed like, like I said before, you know, you're the prototypical guy, but you said maybe the timing was off. Um, you know what? Like, was I surprised when it happened? Absolutely not. Like, I saw it coming from miles away. You know, to the point where like I was giving me anxiety about it, where I was just like, "This is gonna happen." Like, like uh, my WWE run. You know, I, I shouldn't. I, I probably will never complain about it. Like, it let me accomplish a dream. I lived my dream because of it. I, uh, you know, I got to move around the country and, and do so much and earn a living in this business. Um, uh, you know, I experienced the good and bad, and unfortunately, the bad side of it is, is that you know, like, hey, like everyone's gonna get fired at some point. What you do in between, or how much money you make, that's kind of on you. Just do the best of the opportunities. Um. I just don't think I ever really got the, the opportunity there and it wasn't for things not, uh, you know, me poor talent or, uh, you know, how do I put it? Like things just, all the, you know, the shit just always hit the fan, I guess you want to say. Um, you know, I was supposed to, uh, a couple guys I was supposed to tag with um, and, you know, literally to the point where like I had start dates for Raw and then what we were going to be doing, you know, and then, you know, guys get hurt, guys, uh, you know, get in trouble with the office or fall out of favor with the office. So plans change or, you know, um, that happened probably, you know, anywhere from like probably a good half a dozen times in my span with WWE, you know, so I, I got really frustrated at the end. And I remember talking to Dr. Tom about it and just being like, you know, I, I, and even I talked to Arn Anderson about it where, uh, one of the last SmackDowns I did where, you know, he was like, kid, like, you got all the talent in the world, but, you know, shit, you're just falling through the cracks. And, and that's really what I feel it was. Again, timing, like, you know, you know, somebody doesn't get hurt. You know, someone doesn't piss somebody else off. Like, it's a whole new ball game. you know. And, you know, maybe I'd still be working in wrestling for him to this day. Maybe I wouldn't. There's the other part of it, you know. I could have also blown out a knee and been screwed. Um, but, yeah, like, I just remember being uh, being there for about three years or so. Um, you know, they debuted me on SmackDown. We were actually, and here's an example how things would just kind of fall apart. Like, um, the whole thing, I remember, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, having some interaction on SmackDown and us taping vignettes to where, um, I was like captured by Jesse and Festus and Bam Neely, who was formerly Chavo and Edge's bodyguard, uh, rescued me got me out of there like this little vignette was supposed to run like 60 seconds like he's like you know what the hell are you doing in here let's go you know i got this and then we were supposed to start being a tag team um based upon the bash brothers from the mighty ducks movie i'm actually from chicago he's actually from minneapolis just like the characters and we were just supposed to be two wrestling goons and you know uh very rugged like demolition lod type of guys that just beat people up and uh Literally, um, we filmed it, and then I found out like a couple of days later they had to cut it out for editing purposes because the show ran long. And then, um, you know, Vince changed his mind on the whole idea. And so, you know, curveball. So what do you do? You just go back to the drawing board and, and, and try to figure it out. But, um, yeah, when I was there, like you could tell, like, you know, there was a change of the guard a little bit. Like guys weren't staying under contract and developmental as long. 
Um, they were moving guys up a lot faster, probably faster than they should have because they didn't have anything ready for us as far as to develop us on TV. Um, and I think, unfortunately, they really lost out on a lot of quality talent then um, that could be really valuable stars for them today. But it is what it is, man. That, that's the way they run the business. That's the pro wrestling business. With Vince, he said he you know, he changed his mind and he kind of went different. That would have been kind of cool. You and Bam Neely as like the Bash Brothers. That would have been, uh, you know, very different and very cool and very LOD esque, especially from you know the Chicago side of thing. That would have been kind of cool. But did that happen often? Like you know, Vince changing his mind and kind of just going a different direction with things. Yeah, um, from what I understand, like you know, I, I've met Vince obviously a handful of times. I had dinner with him one time in his office, talked, you know meetings, character, talent, that sort of thing. Um, from what I understand, yeah, that's that's kind of how Vince operates. You hear about a lot of rewrites for Raw, or uh, and, I, and I've been there for Raws and SmackDowns where they're literally finishing up the final draft of the show as we're about to start rolling cameras. Um, you know, it is what it is. Like that's just it's his company. He owns it. He's got the final say. Where I think. You know, he said maybe he says yes to an idea, or maybe, and he ruminates on it, and then, you know, he thinks about it. Well, nah, well, let's do that idea with this guy, or, you know, or maybe there's someone bigger up on the food chain, so to say. Like, you know, uh, again, another story, my perfect example, um, uh, where I was supposed to kind of come in again as a, a very blue collar sort of a guy. Um, you know, from like, you know, uh, like a construction family and there's supposed to be a bit of a story to it that, um, I was wrestling to get money for my family because this is when the housing market was kind of crashing, you know, and, and people were going into foreclosure and all this stuff. And JBL was supposed to step in and, you know, save me, save my family. But then I was JBL's pretty much wrestling lackey. Like I had to listen to him. I had to do what he said. Well, that ultimately, if you don't remember, Vince liked that idea, but liked it so much where he turned around and gave it to Shawn Michaels, where Shawn got bailed out by JBL. So yeah, I remember um, that quite well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that you know, and that's that's how it works, man. Like, and you know, sometimes it's not how good you are, how big you are. It's like I like this idea, but I want to do it with this guy. Well, then things change. You know, you got to go back to the drawing board as me. Because, you know, I, I, Shawn Michaels made Vince McMahon a lot more money than I did. So, you know, I, I guess I can't really fault him from a business sense. But that's that's how things operate sometimes, man, where it's like, well, you know what? Like, we filmed we filmed some vignettes for this, and Vince just changed his mind, and we're not feeling it, so we're just going to scrap it. Okay. <laughs> so that's how it works. Hmm. And then is it also true that you're supposed to have a program with the big show or was that developing at all? Or is that just kind of uh, just a rumor that's not really have any basis to it? Uh, you know what? There very well could be. Um, I, I debuted against him and that debut match flip flop between him and triple H probably three or four times throughout the day. Um, you know, I, oh, in my opinion, why you would throw a guy like me or anybody out there, um, like they did me and just, all right, we're just, going to go get knocked out by the big show on your debut. And I mean, I just wasn't a good way to start off me on the roster or in front of the fans. Um, if something more was supposed to happen with it, I don't remember. Um, at the top of my head that, you know, other than that match, it's not ringing the bell unless, you know, like I said, it's something I don't know about or 
you know, that was pitched for me and that, you know, just never came to fruition. Um, you know, there was stuff that I was supposed supposed to do with print, you know, with quotes around it with JBL a couple times, um, with Undertaker, uh, a couple ideas that had Van Neely involved as well. Um, you know, and it's all the same thing where they, they get hot for an idea and then they cool off on it or a new idea comes in and takes up, you know, the creative department's mind or Vince's mind. And that's priority number one. And that's the way they go. Yeah, I guess that's how it goes for sure. But I just remember the the big show thing. And I was, did it think that there was supposed to be more to it? Like, he yeah, actually going to knock this guy in his debut. And at the end of it, you would think that you would get revenge or something, but I guess that wasn't in the card. Yeah. You know, uh, Unfortunately, like I said, sometimes I think maybe things get rewritten too many times <laughs> and or things get left off or aren't, aren't as well as thought out as maybe they should be. But, you know, that's what the opportunity was and that was the, uh, you know, the cards that were dealt. So that's what I had to play. Absolutely. And we kind of uh, talked about WWE developmental a few times with OVW and FCW and Deep South. But have you got a chance to see what they've been doing now with developmental with NXT? What do you think with, you know, them doing the NXT thing now and developmental, you know, when you were there, you see the gigantic shift and a gigantic change. Do you almost wish, you know, they had the NXT when you were down there in developmental? Oh man. If we had NXT when I was in developmental, particularly when I was in OVW um, with guys like, you know, Evan Bourne and Colt Cabana and, Cassie Riley and uh, who else was there with us? You know, Punk was in and out of there at that time. Um, Mike Cruel, like I, I'm confident in saying it's probably one of the best locker rooms overall that I've been a part of. We had a little bit of everything as far as wrestling styles and personalities. I think you would have had NXT the buzz back then for sure. Um, and what I think that they've done is they've corrected the the shortcomings and the mistakes that developmental made for the last you know 10 to 12 years think about it really like how many big stars have come out of developmental for wwe prior to nxt in the last like maybe 10 years or so can't think of too many can you got down a lot of guys that you could say like really evolved into the big you got punk you know um the other guys that have done real well for themselves like dolph ziggler who is just a another freak athlete. Um, Seamus done pretty well for himself, but no one's really been like that. Cena, Batista, Orton, Brock, Undertaker, those guys. You know, I know Taker's a lot older, but, um, you know, and I think a big part of it was is that uh, there wasn't the communication that there was now, I'm sure. Like, um, you know, WWE, it's their performance center. It's, from what I understand, it's Hunter's baby. He's hired some of the best coaches and from different styles and different mindsets that he can find to kind of give different takes into pro wrestling. Um, you know, from what I understand, they've got any time at 70 to 80 guys, gals training down there. And you get maybe 30 of them on the NXT show itself. Um, and they've really, he, it, the company or Triple H, whoever spearheading it is done a really good job at, you know, making this, another an actual second brand and it's not like oh this is wrong it's a smackdown but it's really all wwe you know like it feels like it's its own brand it feels different it's presented different the stars are different um which i think is great you know and then you know everything seems to be a little bit more well thinking long term like how do we develop these talent 
now physically and then in front of the crowd at NXT to where they can be NXT stars and then thinking long-term, how does that translate over into what, you know, a Vince McMahon wants on Raw or SmackDown? And I think that was a big part of where they went wrong when I was there. You know, they would, sure, they would send agents or they would send writers or, you know, like a Bruce Pritchard or a Dusty Rhodes or, or whoever there, and they'd watch us practice, they'd watch us do matches, and sometimes we wouldn't even get critiqued or we wouldn't get a lot of feedback. We'd get, oh, that was good, or I was okay, or do this better. But we never had any, like, really good feedback from creative or anything like, hey, we want you to move in this direction. We see you in this sort of uh, role. We see we see you with this sort of personality moving uh, in this direction with this sort of wrestling style. They didn't have that. And in fact, I'll show you how bad it was actually that straight up like after my year in OVW where, uh, you know, guys like me and Birchall were beating each other up and Evan Bourne was blown up and Colt and Sean Spears were having a great feud. Dusty Rhodes flat out told everybody that creative or Vince never watched OVW TV when we sent it up there. So that, you know, so now you actually have, if that's true, that's what was going on then. And now you've got, you know, pretty much the number two or three man in the company, Hunter, watching and producing almost every show. He's the boss. Like, that's huge. You're going to walk right through that curtain and you're going to get a, you know, a, a thumbs up or a pat on the back or get an ass chew and you're going to find out what you did wrong right there, how you fix it and what needs to get better or else you won't be there anymore. Huge, huge difference. There's direction. There's, uh, you know, there's motivation as opposed to just kind of a lot of guesswork and kind of swimming in the dark. Definitely. And they definitely, you know, distinguish themselves as, as a separate brand just by the fact that, um, you know, they're bringing in a guy like Samoa Joe and Rhino and Fusion Thunder Liger made an appearance. It just seems very, you know, un like and very different. Have you seen any of that, like with Joe and, and some of those guys coming in? Yeah, I've seen a little bit of it. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't have time to watch nearly the amount of new wrestling that I'd like. Um, I go back to more like the older stuff that I like to study. But um, I do. I did catch a show with Liger on it. I watched most of that while I was getting some tattoo work done. Watch a little bit of like the, some of the Joe stuff. I think it was his initial debut. Uh, see how the crowd received it. Um, you know, like I said, it doesn't feel like a WWE wrestling show, which is good because like you, you want to create another brand or another extension underneath your umbrella. Like why does it have to feel just like another raw or just like a SmackDown? It should, it should have its own, you know, flair to it for, you know, no pun intended, but it should, Hmm. Um, you know, and to me it kind of, and I said it probably about a year, year and a half ago, it felt like they were trying to, you know, in a way, reach out to the diehard wrestling fan by attracting like the international stars or like the real, you know, the well-traveled independent guys like or from an ROH or an Evolve and uh, and put it almost in a modern studio wrestling setting. You know, I almost felt like it was, you know, the 2015's version of like Georgia Championship Wrestling. You know, he had the studio, obviously like, you know, condensed. It's not... Uh, a condensed arena. It doesn't fit a whole lot of people from what I understand, but you still have the glitz of the, the lights and the Tron and everything that people expect with wrestling nowadays. 
Now, when you, you know, you said you don't watch a lot of, you know, a little bit of new wrestling, but you don't watch a lot. But when you go back and watch some of that old stuff, who do you try to emulate or who do you try to learn some stuff from? Are you looking at, like, uh, LOD, some Chicago guys, or, you know, who are you watching? Uh, not so much LOD. I have in the past. Uh, I watch a lot of Stan Hansen. I watch a lot of Terry Gordy, Barry Windham, Arn Anderson. Those are those are kind of the guys I, I typically I rotate through a little bit. I'll get into some Steven Regal and Fit Finley. Um, those are kind of like, I guess you want to say my handful of guys. Throwing a Bruiser Brody here and there, but he's on so much of Hanson stuff. Like, it's like you can't avoid him. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, but those are the guys that, like, I've kind of, you know, emulated or learned from directly that have resonated with me. Um, you know, it's not so much like the moves I'm looking for, like, because none of those guys were, you know, flashy move guys, but, you know, they were good at really good at psychology. All their stuff always looked good. It always looked legit. It always looked uh, believable. You know, like, they didn't, there was no disconnect with the fans. Like, you got in there with Arn, like, you know, he didn't look like this, you know, crazy athletic guy, but fuck, he made you believe, like, you know, you were fighting tooth and nail. And then when you got a guy like Stan Hansen, who was just this wild brawler from the, you know, Texas and Terry Gordy was the same way. That was, you know, some, you know, a backwoods hillbilly mountain man coming to fight, you know, you, know, you, you, you felt that, um, even on TV, you're like, man, I get this guy. This guy's a tough son of a bitch. You know, um, you know, I wouldn't want to get hit by this guy, even that clothesline or that punch, mm, you know, that's what I've always, you know, really got into. And that's what I, you know, I hope when people watch me, you know, they, they, they can say like, eh. you know, you can say whatever you want about pro wrestling, but you know, that Aiden O'Shea, like he punched that guy right in the mouth. You know what I mean? They're, 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 that wasn't fake. Like he threw him into that guardrail, you know, um, that's what, that's what I'm a fan for. So like, um, I guess it's just not too well done in my opinion nowadays. I mean, uh, you know, it's just a different feel, on those guys, I guess, you know, those guys just were in the zone, whatever you want to call it. They believe their own hype or whatever, you know, it worked for them. And, and, you know, 30, 20 years later, I'm still a fan of it, watching it on DVD. It's crazy, you know, going back and watching some of that stuff and how it holds up and you actually like it better than a lot of the current stuff. It's, it's very crazy, but I definitely love Stan Hansen. And love going back and watching that. Would that be somewhat of a dream match for you? Would Stan Hansen be like the guy that if, you know, you could turn back time or, or if, you know, he could somehow be, you know, in his prime now, would that be a good dream match? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think him, him or, uh, or Terry Gordy, who uh, unfortunately has passed away, you know, I've got to work with a lot of other guys that I looked up to, like, you know, Arn, Regal Fit, Barry Windham. Um, you know, they were all in WWE around my time. So I got to work with them as coaches and as agents and learn from them. Um, you know, I used to watch like a lot of Vader too, cause he was that same sort of just mean, believable guy. And I got to wrestle him a couple of years ago. I got to work out with Dr. Death when he was a, a, a coach. Um, but yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know, Terry's been gone for a number of years now and, uh, and, uh, Stan's enjoying retirement somewhere, I think in, uh, you know, maybe Colorado or, or, uh, Texas. So, uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be definitely up there. If I could roll back the hands of time and be born about 20 years earlier, he'd be one person I'd want to get in the ring with. Absolutely. And if I could rewind back the clock, you know, to when you actually did start in the wrestling business and, and you got trained, 
And one of our favorite guests that we had on the show obviously played a big hand in your training in Chicago, and that's Crazy Ace, Crazy Ace Steel. You know, what were your you know your general consensus in Ace? Because he's such a crazy guy, fun guy, and great wrestler as well. You know what, man? Uh, unfortunately, I haven't talked to Ace in a number of years. I don't know uh, exactly why, like, I've reached out or whatever, and, you know, we just haven't reconnected. Um but back then, like, he was very, from what you see now, like, that, again, we'll go back to, like, timing and that character or that personality, that wrestling style evolving. Him and Danny Dominion were doing, like, a Hollywood Blondes-esque tag gimmick. Um, were almost like they were, like, almost like a Hollywood Blonde meets, uh, you know, model the Rick Martel. So he was sexy Ace Steel then, and, you know, he was evolving into a, a really good, technician and a really intense technician um you know so i got to kind of look back and i realized i got to see that kind of evolution in him into what he became you know as crazy ace uh with uh Pongi the man and their and their run they had um but he always he always had a uh when you got learning from he always had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and i think you could see that coming through even today um you know but he he just trained guys the one way like he he knew he was a really technically sound guy and that was his thing. So like, that's how he, he, he knew to, to teach guys. And I mean, I, to this day, I mean, some of the stuff that he taught me as a, as a foundation, as a base, like I used it to, to have some sort of longevity in WWE and, and even to keep going today. So, um, yeah, I would really say like a very, very technically sound, uh, guy that probably was a little bit underrated too. Definitely one of the most underrated guys and underappreciated guys. But, you know, obviously on our show, we absolutely love him. And two other guys you just mentioned and, uh, you know, kind of made huge names for himself, especially Punker. But what was it like with uh, Colt back then? Was he, you know, always like this jokey, very funny, creative guy? Uh, n- no, not so much. Like, uh, that's another person who I've, I've really I look back and I, I can see the evolution on. Um you know, him and Punk were very competitive um, with each other in the ring, not only in the matches, but in practice. And, you know, I think they're always trying to, like, one-up each other. And I think, it, you know, it did well for them. It forced them to to evolve and to keep getting better or to keep expanding. Um, <clears throat> but, no, like, uh, you know, I just – I just he was very – Colt was very, like, a classic Colt for a while. And he was the very just baby-faced wrestler, I guess you could say you know, smiles, high fives, really solid in the ring, a few flashy moves. And then, uh, you know, somewhere, some way, like I remember started, I did a couple shows with him, like he started to invoke a little bit more comedy stuff into it and a little bit more of the, the king of sport European style into it after uh, going over there and getting hold of some tapes and some DVDs. And I think the light bulb just obviously clicked with Colt and it's never gone out to where uh, he realized like, wow, I can – do a couple of goofy things in the ring and, and make people laugh and make people smile in a way that people normally don't do in a pro wrestling show. And it's not going to beat my body up and it's a lot easier and a lot more fun to do than, you know, dropping and getting dropped on my head or what have you. And he's run with it, man. He's done really well. He definitely has. And obviously, you know, he kind of invented the, the podcast game, which we're, you know, obviously on now, which is great for us. So, you know, thanks to Colt for kind of setting it off for everyone. 
But as far as the punker is concerned, CM Punk, it's crazy to have one guy associated with one town so much. Like, obviously, you know, LOD in Chicago was, was you know, Chicago street fights. Everyone associated them. But Punk is really, really, you know, associated with Chicago. And every time, you know, when he was wrestling to the they went to Chicago, he basically took over the show for a night, and they were obsessed with him. Now, what, what is it about the punker? Did you kind of see it back then, too, that, you know, he had the it factor? He had everyone kind of believing he was, like, the common man, that everyone was on his side? Uh, Yeah, in a way, like, he, he always had one of those personalities and auras about him, if you want to call it an aura, an attitude, whatever, that caught people's attention. And it's for good and bad. Like, he's a very... He and I don't. I, mean, I, I would say this to his face too. Like he's got one of those personalities that people either love him or they hate him. You know, there's not a whole lot of gray with Punk, and I think he's the same way with a lot of people. It's either like you've got a close sit, close, you know, knit circle. I think around him, and if you're not in it, you know, you know, you get his backside. I think, um, and I think a lot of people are, are really can be really really hot with him or really really cold, and uh, he's figured out ways to, you know, utilize those aspects of the personalities to connect with people. I mean, cause I mean, and in a way like uh, it was, again, we'll go back to it. He got a great opportunity at the right time for him. Um, you know, he is a little bit of a counterculture person, obviously, but now what has become counterculture then is, is very popular now as far as, um, you know, the style of dress, uh, the hairstyle, you know, the ink, all that stuff like that, that got really hot for a little while. And then with that, unfortunately, we had some of the negatives come out in our business and sports where we've had a lot of PED usage come to light and a lot of drug use come to light with uh, pro sports. Now you've got a guy here who is openly drug-free, has a tattooed on him, you know, is very boisterous about his lifestyle and being anti-drug and anti-this and all anti-alcohol. And... He's got a look that connects with, you know, today's kids. He looks cool. He's got cool tattoos and, you know. So, I mean, would I have guessed he would have blown up to what he did back then? No. But can I look at it now and be like, I can't believe that happened? Absolutely not. Like, he he just, he knew how to utilize his skills and his personality to connect and the people received him because, yeah, like, I mean, hey, he looks cool. So kids are going to like him, you know, and he's attractive enough for, you know, some chicks are going to get and in, dig into him and he looks cool and he's, you know, counterculture and he's, you know, that bad boy thing that guys are kind of get into here and there too. So he could appeal to a lot of different people. So it, you know, do, I mean, I can look back on it and be like, Oh, it was there all along, but I just didn't really recognize it or understand it the whole time. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, he was definitely a different breed. And now, you know, obviously like you said it, counterculture has kind of become the norm a little bit with uh, the way today's society is. But with Punk, it was very surprising the way his WWE run went because not many guys, you know, were doing better buy rates than Cena or they sell more merch than Cena, but it came out that Punk was doing both of those things and he was getting better rating. Were you kind of surprised the, the way that relationship kind of ended? Because he was the number one guy there for quite a while. Um. I'm split on this question. And do I think he was number one guy in the fans' eyes? Yeah, he probably was. In the company's eyes, no, he probably wasn't, which is what was probably the big source of the headbutting between him and the office. Again, I haven't talked to Punk in a number of years. 
you know, we've seen each other in passing at some events here and kind of give a high goodbye. So I really, I haven't talked to the man and, and really understood where he's at, but from an outside perspective and knowing wrestling, like I do, that's what I see. Like, yeah, he, you can't deny how many punk shirts there were. You can't deny that, you know, that he was bringing people uh, to the matches and buying those pay-per-views. But that goes back to what we talked about earlier with Vince. Vince will get hot, then he gets cold, and he always will go back to what he knows. And what does Vince love and know? Guys like John Cena. Guys like uh, Hulk Hogan. You know, the all-American look or whatever that is at that time. You know, and right now, let's face it, John Cena's G.I. Joe. You know, he is a personality put on a G.I. Joe figure, fight the good fight. You know, he's the modern day, say your prayers, take your vitamins guy, be the good guy, rescue the damsel in distress, stand up for yourself, you know, beat up the bully. That's a timeless message. That's a timeless character. Go back to what I just said about punk, where maybe Vince got hot on it for a little bit because of what he saw and the aspects that he saw. And then, well, yeah, you're doing great, but I've got, other ideas going on over here because this is my golden boy or my poster boy. And I've got Mr. Movie star Batista and the rock coming in and that will just push someone else out of the picture to the side. And unfortunately that was probably punk and, you know, punk put his time in punk did a lot of work and, and made that company a lot of money. And he let them know like, Hey assholes, I'm not going away. Like I'm not cool with this. So in one way, I think it's really good that, you know, he had a pair of balls and he stuck up to himself. A lot of guys in that company can't do that. He could at that position because of what he had done. And he did it. And uh, he played the game on his terms. And from what I understand, he still is. So, Yeah, heading off to a UFC. And I believe, I don't know if the opponent is officially scheduled, but I believe he's fighting sometime in the summer for the UFC. So, uh Good luck to the punker for sure. Yeah, I saw I saw a little bit of tidbit on that today, but I didn't actually click the read, so I got to get caught up on that. It should be interesting. Um, I don't know. Are you an avid MMA fan? Like, do you follow it at all? Do you think that Punk has a shot? Uh, I'm hot, I'm hot and hold with MMA. I used to do a lot of boxing and kickboxing training, um, like working heavy bag in the mitts. So I was probably into it a little bit more, maybe you know, a year or two ago. Um, I follow it, but I'm not as hard, I'm not as hard into it as I was. I should say. Um, I think it's going to be interesting with Punk. Um, unfortunately, I think you know not to you know not talking shit. So I know someone here on the internet be like, oh, you know, you know, Shay's talking shit about Punk. I'm not talking shit about Punk. I'm just seeing what the you know the guy the guy's coming from pro wrestling, which he's done at almost for 20 years. And he did it for a very high level for almost 20 years. So I don't know where he's at physically from that. Um, and let's face it, how many rookies that come into the UFC are over 30 years old? So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Again, I haven't seen the guy train. I I know supposedly there's some training footage that was floating around on the Internet for a little while. I don't I heard that. I don't know. Um, I know he's been working out up in Milwaukee at Rufus Sport, I think, uh, and pretty much lives there part-time from what I understand because he's just, he's just trying to train and inundate himself with it, which is exactly what he did with pro wrestling and that made him successful there. Um, doubt that he has the toughness and the grit to do it whatsoever. Um, it's just going to be a matter of you know how quickly he can adapt you know, his skill level and where his skill level is at coming into that sort of caliber of, uh, of competition, 
you know, and honestly, on relative kind of short notice, man, you've taken your first pro fight after about 18 months, you know, you haven't, you know what I mean? Like that's a big spotlight. I think he'll do business wise. I think it's a great move. I think people are going to buy that pay-per-view and people are going to want to see what CM Punk does. And then, you know, it's kind of up in the air after that, in my opinion. It'll definitely be exciting, and I'm sure the buy rates will be through the roof. And that's one, you know, one positive of it. You know, will he win or not? I don't know if that really matters to the UFC, but it should be exciting. And uh, I'll, you know, I'll definitely be watching for sure. Now, as I start to wind it down a bit here, you've been wrestling for over 15 years. I believe it's almost 17 years now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've been wrestling all over the globe. You mentioned Japan before, obviously TNA, obviously the WWE, Deep South, OVW, et cetera, et cetera. But do you have a favorite match or matches looking back at your career? You know what? No, I don't. Uh, Someone else asked me this uh, the other day, and I was like, man, like, no. Like, unfortunately, like, I remember bits and pieces or or things kind of blur together. I kind of... I think I hit the point a little while ago where I've had so, so many matches and I've been around so many different places where it's like, I'll remember moments. I'll remember feelings like, Oh, this match was fun. And then I'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember that now, you know, or I'll be driving down the interstate and be like, Oh, I wrestled here one time. Like, Oh, I just drove through E-Town, Kentucky. Or I just, Oh shit. I remember last time I was in North Carolina, I did this, this, and this. So I don't have one match that sticks out in my mind. Um, you know, as a, a definite thing. There's, there's some that like I, I, I look fondly on, I guess, like the one that comes to my mind is some of the stuff that I did with, uh, Jamin Olivencia, who I think is another really underrelated talent, uh, in OVW, like 2013 towards like the end of the year. Like it was just fun. Um, you know, big man, little man story, bully, the good versus the good guy. Um, and we just, we had good chemistry in the ring, man. So like it was, they were, they were fun matches. Again, I don't remember a whole lot about them. I can't sit there and go, oh, we did this, we did that, or here was the finish of that match. That one went down like this. I just remember it feeling good and being fun and being really well-received by the fans. Um, you know, so that's probably what I, I remember mostly then as opposed to, you know, any one thing. Or when I got my ass chewed out by fucking up or doing something stupid. So those usually stick out in my head much more. <laughs> what was the, you know, the the biggest um, chew-out uh, moment that you can remember, and, and you know, who chewed you out? Uh, one that strikes me right now is with Bob Holly, um, and uh, it was in Deep South. He was guest coaching for the week, and I was wrestling a guy, uh, Tommy Swade. Um, he was one of Alpha's guys from uh, WXW, or what Alpha's group was. Phenomenal talent. Like, the guy same body as AJ Styles could do everything that AJ Styles could do. Um, but like just, just a great athlete, like same build, everything. And we did something to where I think he was going for some sort of a head scissors or a hurricane, a very fancy flying move or whatever. And uh, I don't know if he caught it right or what, what happened, but I ended up just catching him over my shoulder and just basically throwing him on the ground. So Bob had thought I was stealing his finishing move the Alabama slam and like kind of doing it as a fuck you, like doing it during the match while he's in the back, you know, agenting and helping out coach for the week. So like when I got back, I mean, he literally grabbed me 
like threw me in this office and was like screaming at me with this water bottle shaking in my face, like, you know, cussing me out. Oh, I should know better. I should have more respect for him. And, you know, I'm a piece of shit and all this other stuff. And he just unloaded on me. And I just like stood there like, like, what the fuck is going on? And then I walked away or he walked away and then built him up. I looked at Bill and like gave him like, what was that look? And he goes, just, it's Bob. He'll calm down. And he did. And like the next day it was like nothing happened. Um, but that's one that sticks out in my mind. Hmm. Interesting. Bob Holly, a little bit of a, a little bit of a crazy man for sure. What was it like with Bill DeMott training under him? Um, you know what, man? Like, uh, I have a very mixed, uh, towards Bill. I mean, uh, you hear a lot of the stuff that, you know, he was doing to some of the talent he was doing it to some of the guys down there. Um, you know, he was a very, very rough, 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 uh, coach. I'll be honest with you. Like it was rough, man. It was, it was a lot of hard work. And, uh, there was times that like, I hated him and I was like, Oh my God, this is just like, people are going to get hurt. Or, you know what I mean? Like, like getting out of bed is an issue. Um, why are we doing these things? This drill is fucked up, whatever, you know? Um, I really don't want to get into the whole, like the whole build a mock can of worms again, and where I'm going with this is like, but, but it made me a better pro, but it made me a better pro wrestler. So, you know, we know in this business, if you love this business, you're going to eat a lot of shit. You're going to take a lot of the shit. Your body's going to get abused. You're going to get brow beaten. You're going to get yelled at. Uh, I dare anybody to find an NFL or a collegiate level football program, wrestling program, that your coaches don't yell and scream at you. Your coaches don't make you do shit that makes that you think is stupid, you know, or, or is rough, whatever. It's a matter of opinion. It made me a better wrestler. So how can I really sit here and bash and, and say it was rotten and it was this and it was that it helped me get to a higher level. It helped me, it helped me propel myself forward. I learned a lot about pro wrestling, the good and the bad, what to do, what not to do how a big company runs, how an office runs, take away Bill DeMont and Deep South, I might not have learned those things. So that's kind of my perspective on it. You make some very good points there. He's almost like an old school football coach. They're really tough on you. And then, you know, that's when you kind of end up learning the most and and, you you eat shit for a while, but then you get uh, tougher and stronger and better. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I, I, you know, uh, as much as people complain about them and, you know, we'll get, that's a whole other can of worms, but like, that's the truth. Like, you know, uh, he beat the shit out of us and run us to death until we were throwing up or our bodies ached. And then he, you know, Hey guys, come on over to over tonight. We're barbecuing and having some beers, you know, that, that, that was bill. You know what I mean? And like I said, like, uh, you know, there's a whole can of worms over there that, you know, that the internet I'm sure will love to know on. Um, but <laughs> it, take away that experience. Am I the performer or the wrestler or the individual I am now? I don't know. So I, I, I guess, you know, that is what it is. Now getting back to you and your career, you know, we kind of touched on a bunch of opponents that you had that, you know, you enjoyed. But do you have a favorite opponent that you got in there with, somebody just clicked with, somebody that the chemistry was just always on point with? Um, you know, like, uh, there's a few people that I've really, really enjoyed working with. Um, go back to Jamin Olavencia. 
Um, I just think he's just so drastically underrated and could be picked up by a big company and do really well in any one of them. Um, I really liked, uh, I like Rockstar Spud. As much as I hate to say it, and I will go to punch the mutt in the mouth, like he's fun to wrestle. Evan Bourne's the same way. Um, even if, speaking of some TNA guys, um, Eric Young, I haven't wrestled him recently, but I wrestled him, you know, in 2013. Um, and there's a guy that has moved himself all over the spectrum as far as what type of a persona he is and all up and down the, the ladder of the hierarchy of the TNA wrestling world from opening match to main event comedy, you know, uh, shit disturbing heel team Canada, you know, uh, goofy guy maniac, like it's done really well for himself and he's really good in the ring. Um, another guy that I'm, I would love to get in there and go with from TNA again is abyss. Um, I think he's probably the best big man we've had in a number of years. I don't think he really gets the credit he deserves. I don't really think he realizes how good he is. Um, he, he, aside from him being just a, a very helpful with me and in, in, in my career with advice and at TNA really, you know, helping me there. Um, you know, you don't get a, you don't get a chance nowadays to see what a lot of two big guys go at it. And he's and I'm six four, about two sixty five now, and he's six six, about three hundred. You know, I just like I would love to get you know a series of matches with him or, or or some really serious ring time and just see what him and I could do and have some fun. You know, we did a little bit uh, when they were doing the Joseph Parks, but you know, again, it was kind of when like I was just kind of there in TNA and it was just really quick matches. Um, I would I. You know, back in the day, I did, uh, I did think I did a live event with Samoa Joe and TNA. I did him early in my indie career. You know, I'd love to wrestle him again. Um, another old buddy of mine that I've actually traveled with a number of times that I never have gotten to wrestle actually would be Rhino. Um, and again, just two other, you know, big kind of strong, powerful, brawler-esque guys. I think we'd have a lot of fun and uh, put on a really good match for the crowd. Uh as far as anybody else that I've wrestled, another guy uh, here in, in the Chicago area, and he was in deep south with me for a minute, was Rob Anthony. Um, he's another guy that I think you know had a lot of potential for WWE. You know, six two, two twenty, very lean build, almost like a Rick Rude type frame on him. Um, and uh, he was just one of those guys that, that just again fell through the cracks. I don't think you know creative really was emphasizing or pushing him maybe to Vince. He had all the talent in the world. I've had some really good matches with him uh, a couple of years ago here in Chicago. Um, then again, I think he's one of those guys you drop in NXT now or NXT happens five years ago, you got a huge star on your hands. Um, you know, kind of a goofy, cocky jackass, a little bit of a personality to him, like almost uh, like literally like the guys from Jackass um, and just crazy athletic, you know, that frame, very acrobatic, gymnastic-like type of guy. But, um, you know, again, timing. But that is what it is. Yes, well said. Timing is everything. Now, one final question for you, and we like to call it the DDP question because this is how he prefaced it uh, to us. But, what you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Top of TNA. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I like the way the company's headed. Um, I think the partnership with Pop is is a win-win for both companies. 
Um, and I think there's there's a lot of good wrestling out there, which, again, I think will hopefully evolve into the whole wrestling business kind of getting a little bit on an upswing. Um, and I think with the way TNA's coming in, we've got a crop of new talent like myself in, um, even like a guy like Spud who's been there a little bit now. Um, EC3 has done phenomenal for them. Um, Mike Bennett's coming into the picture. Uh, Trevor Lee, you've got a lot of young, hungry guys that are going to mix in well with, like, the Hardy Boys. They're going to mix in well with a guy like Lashley, who is having great matches right now. They're gonna, we're going to mix in well with an Eric Young or Bobby Roode, those guys. So that's where I see myself in five years. You know, I know um, I'm not exactly a spring chicken anymore, but I'm relatively a newcomer still to the large worldwide wrestling scene. Um, you know, I've, I I don't doubt for a second that I have the talent to get there. Um, it's just a matter of if TNA and when TNA is going to give me the opportunity to move myself up to the crowd, up the card, and into those big spots. And uh, I think you'll be seeing, you know, Aiden O'Shea versus Jeff or Matt Hardy or Aiden O'Shea versus a Drew Galloway or Aiden O'Shea versus a, uh, an EC3, you know, in big matches in the future. Absolutely, and I would definitely, definitely look forward to that and hopefully get to the top of the TNA heap because you sure as hell deserve it. But for any of those fans out there, they want to get in touch with Aiden O'Shea or they want to follow him or, you know, whatever they want to do. Where can they get in touch with Aiden O'Shea or where can they follow Aiden O'Shea? Well, uh, you can follow me at Twitter. It's pretty simple. It's just Aiden O'Shea, TNA, all one word, A-I-D-E-N. O-S-H-E-A, T-N-A. Um, I do take, obviously, and I'm open to take with uh, with T-N-A, selective independent dates or appearances, so people can hit me up on there, on Twitter, or you can take the same handle, Aiden O'Shea, T-N-A, at Gmail, for any sort of booking inquiries for appearances, matches, what have you. Um, but those are the best ways. I'm actually pretty active on Twitter, actually. Um, if anyone follows me, like I, you know, I actually do engage in fans. I'm not just trying to show you my t-shirts or tell you to watch TNA. Like I do interact quite often. Um, I find it fun. And I find it another outlet to kind of connect with the fans in some way, you know, despite that, you know, Hey, I wasn't on, you know, impact TV this past Tuesday, but I was on the pay-per-view last Friday. Um, so I just feel it's another way for, Hey, like you're going to be on Twitter. Like you can interact with the guy or the wrestler. And I think that's one of the cool things about Twitter and it's one of the things that, like, I realized as a kid I really liked as res- as a wrestling fan, like, it wasn't just like watching a movie where it's sterile and you're just watching someone else's world. Like, you're in this world. You can interact and you can, you know, talk to this individual. You can yell at them. You can try to touch them. You know, you can get sweat on by them. And I think that's one of the cool parts of pro wrestling as a form of entertainment that, you know, it's tangible. It's real. So I try to take that over to Twitter and uh, if you follow me, you'll see the kind of shenanigans I uh, I tend to typically pull off. Definitely got to check you out on there, and definitely got to check you out every Tuesday night on Pop TV. Aiden O'Shea, thank you so much. It's been quite an honor to get you on. It's been quite a pleasure, and looking forward to see you dominate the TNA ring. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.